Our Old Testament passage today picks up in 2 Samuel chapter 19. Absalom has been defeated. David is being brought back now to Jerusalem to retake his throne as king. And Shemiah, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Bahurim, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Ziba, okay, when I remember Ziba, Ziba was put in charge of the grandson of King Saul when David gave back all of Saul's properties to him. And Ziba was to serve him and to take care of all these things because the guy was crippled. And Ziba, the servant of the house of David, with his 15 sons and 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and do his pleasure. And Shemaiah, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. And he said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty, or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the household of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord. Now, remember, this is the guy that cursed David and threw stones at him. Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered, Shall not Shemaiah be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What do I have to do with you sons of Zariah? Okay, now remember, Joab is, Joab is part of this also, the sons of Zariah. That you should this day be as an adversary to me. Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? He said, he said, I've got nothing to prove. Now, one of the things you'll have to understand with David is David had no vengeance in his heart. David was not a man of vengeance. Now, Joab was, and obviously Abishai was his brother. And the king said to Shemaiah, You shall not die. And the king gave him this oath. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, O Lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but doomed men to death before my lord the king, but you sent your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided, you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. Now, Barzaliah the Gileadite had come down from Regolim, and he went with the, on with the king to Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzaliah was a very aged man, 80 years old, and he had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanium, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzali, Come over here with me, and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem. And the king said, and Bazariah said to the king, How many years have I still to live, that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? 
I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Then why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return, that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, Chimham. Let him go over with my lord the king, and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall come with me, and I will do for him whatever seems good to you, and all that you desire of me I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan, and the king went over. And the king kissed Barzaliah and blessed him, and he returned to his own home. And the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him. And all the people of Judah, and also the half of the people of Israel, brought the king on his way. Then all the people, of, all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away, and brought the king and his household over the Jordan, and all David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over, th over this matter? Have we at eaten at the king's expense? Has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king, and in David also we have more than you. Why then did you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you just to back up on some of this. Because this whole story is a story of return and the dangers involved, and the politics, and the sip-sip. You know, where were these guys when Absalom was driving him out of the city? David was magnanimous in victory, and you have to remember that. Let's put it this way. David was gracious in victory. He did not go and penalize all these people. Chapter 20, verse 1. Now there happened to be a worthless man. <laughs> this is one of those lists, all right? Remember I told you to make lists? Make a list of all the worthless guys. Whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjaminite. And he blew the trumpet and said, We have no portion in David, and we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So all the men of Israel withdrew from David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah followed their king steadfastly from the Jordan to Jerusalem. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to notice something. You can see the future if you look closely. At events. Notice how quickly the ten tribes pulled away from David. The next time you see that is with David's grandson, Rehoboam. And the ten tribes followed Jeroboam and divided the nation. But notice how quickly the ten tribes split up and away from David. It's a fascinating thing to see. And one of the things you have to learn in life is you always see things telegraphed before you see them in person. When I was young and I played badminton and tennis, 
the, the coach always taught us to watch the racket head. To watch the racket head of the other of the, of your opponent. To watch the instant that the racket head touched the birdie or touched the tennis ball. Because that was going to tell you what kind of a shot it was, where it was going, spin, overspin, backspin, whatever. You looked at the racket head. Now, as a young boy, I thought, you know, I want to keep my eye on the ball. I'd always heard, keep your eye on the ball. He said, first, watch the racket head at the point of contact. Oftentimes in life, you, you see the beginnings of something long before you see the finality of it. And this, this is a beautiful truth here. When you, you begin to see a group of people splitting off, and they find it very easy to split off, understand that is where things will go in the future. So all the men of Israel withdrew from David and followed Sheba, this worthless guy. But the men of Judah followed the king steadfastly from the Jordan to Jerusalem. And David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten concubines whom he left to take care of the house and put them in a house under guard and provided for them. These are the ones that uh, were violated by his son Absalom. But he did not go into them, so they were shut up until the day of their death, living as if they were in widowhood. Then the king said to Amasa, Call the men of Judah together to me within three days and be here yourself. So Amasa went to summon Judah, but delayed beyond the set time that had been appointed him. Or so he went to summon Judah, but he delayed. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom, this worthless fellow. Now notice, David, no, not an immediate response. David first went back and got his center of authority together in Jerusalem. So he didn't immediately go to war. But now he realizes, I'm going to have to go to war with this guy. Take the Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he get himself into fortified cities and escape from us. And there went out after him Joab's men, the Carathites and the Pelathites, all the, and all the mighty men. Now, the, these are the greatest warriors of David. And they went out from Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. When they were at the great stone that is in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet him. Now Joab was wearing a soldier's garment, and over it was a belt with a sword in its sheath fastened on his thigh, and as he came forward, it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, Is it well with you, my brother? And he took Amasa by the beard and with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not observe the sword that was in Joab's hand. So Joab struck him in the stomach and spilled his entrails to the ground. Without striking a second blow, he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. Now notice, Joab murders again. He murders this guy, Amasa, who had been sent to summon Judah, but he delayed beyond the set time. David did not tell him to kill this man, but Joab chose to. Joab was a very ruthless man. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. And one of Joab's young men took a stand by Amas and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. Whoa. One of Joab's young men. All right, so here we have 
A Power Grab by Joab. Now remember, this is the same guy later who goes with Adonijah and tries to take the kingdom away from Solomon. And Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the highway, and anyone who came by seeing him stopped. And when the man saw that all the people stopped, he carried Amasa out of the highway into the field and threw a garment over him. When he was taken out of the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. Now, why would he, he lay this man he murdered in front of everybody? Intimidation. And Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, Beth Ma'achah, and all the Bichrites assembled and followed him in. And all the men who were with Joab came and besieged him in Abel of Beth Ma'achah. And they cast up a mound against the city, and it stood against the rampart, and they were battling the wall to throw it down. Then a wise woman called from the city, Listen, listen, tell Joab, come here, that I may speak to you. And he came near, and the woman said, Are you Joab? And he answered, I am. Then she said, Listen to the words of your servant. And he said, I'm listening. Then she said, They used to say in former times, Let them but ask counsel at Abel. And so they settled the matter. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the heritage of the Lord? And Joab answered, Far be it from me, far be it that I should swallow up or destroy. That is not true. But a man from the hill country of Ephraim called Sheba, the son of Bichri, has lifted up his hand against King David. Give him alone, and I will withdraw from the city. And the woman said to Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman went to all the people in her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it out to Joab. So he blew the trumpet, and they dispersed from the city, and every man to his home. And Joab returned to Jerusalem to the king. Now Joab was in command of all the army of Israel. Benaniah, the son of Joadiah, was in command, was the command of the Carathites and the Pelethites. Adoram was in charge of the forced labor, and Jehoshaphat the son of Ahilud was the recorder, and Shiva was secretary, and Zadok and Abathar were priests, and Ira the Jarite was also David's priest. These were what I would call the top leadership of David. Now I want you to notice, as part of the top leadership of David, he has Abathar and as priests, and Ira the Jarite as a priest, and he has a recorder, he has a secretary. He has somebody who keeps records. Now, some of you businessmen, you're just small, so you think there's no need to keep records. Even King David had records kept. Learn to keep good records. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. <laughs> Buhay kay Jesus ay mas mainam Buhay sa mundo ay ayos lamang Buhay kay Jesus ay mas mainam Sa ting aking nakikita Ang itina nag-aanyaya Panahon ay huwag sayangin Pakinggan aming sasabihin Oh, 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 Sa lahat ng nilikha mo Todong-todo ang paghanga ko Kaganda ay walang sinabi Kung 
para sa iyo aking hay Buhay sa mundo ay ayos lamang Buhay kay Yesus ay mas mainam Buhay sa mundo ay ayos lamang Buhay kay Yesus ay mas mainam Todong-todo ang paghanga ko Kaganda ay walang sinabi Kumpara sa'yo ang ihari Buhay sa mundo ay ayos lamang Buhay kay Jesus ay mas mainam Buhay sa mundo ay ayos lamang Buhay kay Jesus ay mas mainam Buhay sa mundo ay ayos lamang Buhay kay Jesus ay mas mainam Buhay sa mundo ay ayos lamang Buhay kay Jesus ay mas mainam Oh, 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 oh Our New Testament passage today picks up in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to four things. This was life as a Christian. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to learn. They were devoted to the fellowship with the saints. They were devoted to communion. And they were devoted to prayer. Can I ask a question today? Are you and I devoted to the same four things? This is how Christianity was defined. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And notice the word through. The apostles didn't do miracles. Miracles were done through them. And there was a sense of awe. And, and beloved, this is missing in the church today. There's so little awe of God. I mean, people, people have, they don't even have respect for God today, even in the church. Please forgive me. Even among Christians. And I don't say that to them anybody, but there has to come a point where the awe of God gets a hold of us again, where we realize the sovereign power and the sovereign authority of God. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. All right, so this is the, this is generosity. And this is benevolence in infancy. Now you're going to see this benevolence has to change as they mature. And day by day, attending the temple together, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Generosity was a part of who the early church was. Praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God just keeps bringing people into the church, those who are being saved. It's our job to get them saved. It's our job to preach the gospel. It's God's job to add them. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, if you look at the Temple Mount and it looks like this, and you come across here, this would be the temple proper, and then you've got the holy holies, holy place, and you've got the women's court. Right here, this is the gate beautiful, okay? This is the beautiful gate. So this is a very good place. Everybody comes into here and drops off their offerings because all of the offerings were received off here. Usually on the right side, most scholars think. There's a few that say on the left, but there's a special area for putting your collections in the treasury over here on this side. So everybody who comes in, it's a good place to beg. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and he, as did John, and said, look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you. Oh, that is a verse that just blows me away. Peter said, I don't have any silver and gold. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He said, what I do have. He said, I have an anointing to heal the sick. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The miracles were done in Jesus' name, but there was an anointing in his life. Now, beloved, may all of us, may all of us have such a thing in our lives. Just giving people money doesn't solve their poverty. But if we can see a miracle in their life, that would solve their poverty for life. Just it's one of those one of those verses that every time I read it, I want to humble myself and get on my face and say, God. Let there be more of an anointing in my life. God, let there be more healing power in my life. God, let the working of miracles flow stronger in my life. God, let gifts of healing flow stronger in my life. Because, beloved, this, this is what the world needs to see. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. Immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. He didn't just look at the guy and say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk and walk off. He expected something to happen. He took him by the right hand and pulled him up. And as he pulled him up, the miracle happened. So as a work of faith, faith without works is dead, as a work of faith functioned, a miracle happened. As he pulled him up, the miracle flowed. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. <laughs> and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him 
as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and an amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Uh, excuse me? We've watched this guy for how many years and now he's running around walking? What do you mean? Why are we wondering at this? Why do you stare at us? Well, you know, we haven't seen any miracles around here since Jesus. As though by our own power or piety we made him walk. Now those are two important words. Peter recognized he's nothing. Peter recognized he, he couldn't heal anybody. Peter recognized it's not my power that made this man walk, and it's not my holiness that made this man walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. He said, you denied the holy and righteous one, and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is in, that is through Jesus, has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter just looks at them and bold as a lion, just says, hey, you delivered Jesus over to die. You denied Jesus. You killed the author of faith. He said, the author of life, he said, we're witnesses to this. He said, but now I want you to understand something. This Jesus is alive. And by faith in his name, this man has been healed. He said, and now brothers, I know you acted in ignorance that's a big deal here. An ignorant sin in the Bible is very different than a willful sin. He said, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore. Turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So where, where does revival come from? From the presence of the Lord. Revival flows from God. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me. Prophet, priest, and king. That's how, how that's what Moses was. Like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. All the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your forefathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now, now, look at what he's saying there. 
He's saying, this has been prophesied for all these thousands of years, and it's now been fulfilled in front of you. Jesus is a prophet like unto Moses, and you shall listen to whatever he tells you. He said, but now listen, you, you didn't. He said, God has sent you, Jesus. He sent him to you first as the Jews to bless you. And how is he going to bless you? By turning each one of you from your wickedness. Now, some of you are listening to me today, and you've been living in sin. God wants to bless you by turning you from your wickedness. All you need to do is repent and turn to him, and he will wipe out your sins. You need to do that today. All right, let's look at Proverbs for a little bit of wisdom today. One who is full loathes honey, refuses it. But to the one who is hungry, every bitter thing is sweet. Have you ever noticed people that are completely full? You can take them to the most beautiful banquet. Lechon, fresh from Cebu. Nice crispy skin. Lechon koali with some karikari sauce to dip in it. I love lechon koali dipped in karikari sauce. A big bowl of karikari and some really special bugger on. Oh, bug net. Beautiful steamed lapu-lapu. You can bring them to that banquet, black gulama. And then for dessert, overflowing lechi flan with makapuno on top. And they will look at it and just, eh. They'll pick at it because they're full. But if you take somebody who's hungry and you set before them a bowl of lugao that's half water and half lugao, and maybe it has chicken flavor, but there's no chicken, that will be the greatest thing they've ever tasted. You see, your state of hunger determines your desire. And the same is true spiritually. There are many Christians that are full. <laughs> and you can teach them the most incredible buffet of a sermon of truth. I mean, and they get nothing. Your spiritual hunger determines your attitude toward what you receive. Spiritual hunger determines attitudes. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Wow. You don't belong someplace else, you belong home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. The sweetness of a friend. Everybody needs to talk to somebody sometime, and everybody needs to ask advice. And a good friend will counsel you. And that's what makes the friendship sweet. Because he's got no agenda. Your, your, your good friend has no agenda. But a person who has an agenda, or that they're really not your friend. Okay. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Friendship goes two generations. 
friendship those two generations. I am still kind to people that were friends with my grandfather and friends of my father and friends of my great uncle. Say, so why would you be kind to those people? They, they don't mean anything to you. Yes, they do, because they were the friends of my father and my grandfather. They were the friend of my great uncle. You have to understand loyalty and friendship. Friendship should go multi-generational. He said, do not forsake your friend or your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is the neighbor who is near. You know, when you've got a friend who lives close by and you have a need, you should go to them before you go to family. Wow. Then a brother who is far away. Some tremendous truth today. I'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, as we get back into the Book of Romans. See you then.